0: The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media US. Recorded live at the World Economic Forum in Davos, it's the PR
1: Week podcast in partnership with Weber Shandler.
0: Hi, everyone. It's Steve Barrett here at Davos here with Jim O'Leary, who's the North America CEO of Weber Shamwick, talking about Davos and all the trends that uh, we're seeing here and anything else that springs to mind over the next 25 minutes. Jim, thanks for supporting this programming and uh, welcome to the podcast. and. Uh, What is it, six months in?
1: Now you're in Davos repping Weber. Life's good, yeah? (laughs) Life is good, Steve. Delighted to be here on this warm and sunny day. It's not (laughs) not can, is it? (laughs) It is not can. Um, And I've actually been uh, with Weber uh, a year now, almost exactly. So yeah, my one-year anniversary. It's been amazing.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. We'll talk a bit more about that at the end, but let's get into Davos. We're here at the World Economic Forum, of course. We'll talk about... The agenda and uh, the items on this year's programme, that is a big part of the Congress, although there's another sort of separate part, isn't there, on the promenade where everyone has their shop fronts, and we're sitting on one of, in one of those at the moment. Thank you to PayPal for lending us this space. And uh, Jim, talk about the, the trends that really caught your eye, or the items off the uh, Davos agenda.
1: Yeah, certainly. So I think, I mean, in terms of the official program, right, I guess there's like four main pillars that um, are dominating the agenda. Security, which is, uh, of course, questions around global security, geopolitical conflict, jobs, Jobs in the economy, AI, of course, and then uh, climate or the energy transition. And I think beyond that, there's a number of topics, of course, that are being covered. One that uh, is maybe not officially part of the WEF agenda, but certainly the WEF is is behind is um, misinformation. You probably saw their report they released last week. I think it was a global risks report listing misinformation as, I guess, one of the most severe uh, risks to all global institutions in the years ahead. Is the assumption there that misinformation
0: is spread on social media? Is that uh, pretty much the primary source or is it coming coming at people in in different ways?
1: Yeah, I think social media certainly is a big driver of that. I wouldn't say it's the exclusive driver, though I... If you look at the data, I'm fairly certain that um, uh, there's some data out there. We just had a, our own misinformation panel on Monday night um, hosted by two of my colleagues, Chris Derry and Catherine DeCampo. And I think um, if you look at the data, there's like, um, you know, what is it? Online um, misinformation travels like six times faster or something. So certainly uh, social media is a big source of it, yeah.
0: And we've one topic of conversation is that there are 60 or 70 elections going on around the world. Over the uh, the course of 2024, I think four billion people will go to the polls. I guess misinformation is very relevant to that as well, isn't it? Because a lot of falsehoods or interesting takes, shall we say, are being peddled as part of the candidates' agendas and the way they're communicating And some of them get traction, don't they? You know, even if they're not necessarily true, the communications around it actually is pretty effective. What's what's your take on that as someone who advises people on how to communicate well?
1: Yeah, well, we're certainly advising a number of our clients, you know, in the, heading into this election year in the United States. And then, as you mentioned, I think there's like a total of now the latest data is like 60 major elections um, around the world. So, yeah, speaking from a U.S. perspective, I mean, we have some incredible um, data suggesting that I guess like 50% of, of one half of the population believes that, uh, what, like the one candidate's a threat to our democracy. What's even more surprising to me is that the other 50% actually feels the same way about the other person, which I'm not sure has always been the case. And so certainly misinformation is a, is a big factor in all of that. And, um, I think also, you know, to, to tie in the, one of the biggest themes that we, you and I have both hearing about maybe more than we can even handle at this point in, with, in terms of AI, I mean, AI and, and bots are a big factor in, in, you know, the spread of misinformation right now. And I think overall this, the way that we're looking at it, is that misinformation is certainly posing a material threat to businesses and brands this year and obviously beyond.
0: Yeah. You mentioned AI and a lot of the narrative here is very positive, isn't it? If you can walk down the promenade, everyone's selling it. Basically that's the other part of Davos. (laughs) You know, it's probably not talked about that much. Um, but there, there doesn't seem to be as much attention, or maybe I'm miss, missing it, but attention given to the potential for bad actors to utilize the technology because they're often some of the first uh, players to get get in there and, and start doing things.
1: Yeah, well, we're certainly at uh, peak AI here in uh, in Davos, and and frankly, even in beyond. Um, I, you know, I think it's interesting, right? We're we're at what is arguably the um, the premier gathering of global CEOs. So I, you know, I. Like you, Steve, I feel um, really, um, I, I love to be here in many ways because we get to hear from CEOs directly on so many of these issues. I think that when I think about the the main issues that CEOs are talking about, or at least certainly the CEOs that I've been speaking to, kind of boils down to four, and they, they loosely connect to the ones that um, the the main agenda items for for the WeF. But I think I would even like maybe crystallize them even more clearly around four things. So one is is geopolitics, which we should talk about a little bit later. One, of course, as you just mentioned, is AI, and you know the fact that no conversation here seems to be complete without um, hyping AI. And the question now is, you know, what's it all going to lead to in terms of impact versus just the hype? And we'll come to that a little bit later, too. I think then three is, of course, the global economy. Uh, And then the last one would be um, would be uh, the energy transition. And, you know, so like Alan Murray, he calls them the three G's, which is like the green transition, generative A.I., and uh, geopolitics, and then the, the fourth being global economy. So I guess there's four four Gs. 4G. Maybe we'll get to five
0: G <laughs> next yeah. year, Jim.
1: Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, Alan just had a we just saw Alan last night. He had, and uh, at the Fortune uh, Fortune event uh, with uh, any number of CEOs were there, and these were I think probably some of the main themes we saw emerging.
0: Yeah, interesting. One topic <laughs> I've been hearing about is reg- regulation and AI, and how important that is but also we've seen the track record of re- regulators on technology and it's you know it's fashionable to laugh at the politicians trying to get their heads round you know what 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 what, what much more basic technologies than ai so how do you regulate it especially when you know, there are people in the industry who don't really know where it's going and and some of whom have expressed skepticism about it. Is that How big a reputational threat is that?
1: Yeah, well, certainly lots of big questions right now around the ethics around AI, around commercialization of AI, around, you know, risks posed by AI. I think, as I said before, you know, the flash year was the year of AI hype. I think now everyone's eager to see where things go. You know, um, specifically in response to your question, the um, the IMF chief. I think it was just a couple of days ago, right? What, what it, um, was the quote? It's like something about AI can jumpstart productivity and boost global growth and raise incomes, but at the same time, it's going to, you know, most likely replace jobs and could um, even deepen inequality. But what's interesting about that quote is is, is that it's actually applying more to the developed world and rich countries, which is where I think in the past the effect of automation was potentially less pronounced, right? And so it's like... in if say like uh, I think that they were indicating was that in sixty percent of jobs could be affected in developed countries, um, which is which is certainly an interesting um, phenomenon that uh, I think you know may not have been the case in the past with just more standard automation.
0: Yeah, interesting. And um, yeah, we'll definitely be talking about it this year. Uh, maybe this year is the year of actually moving beyond the talking and getting into some doing with AI, and then twenty five will be. Kind of results. Hopefully, I'm sure it'll be just as big a topic,
1: you right? Met- oh, you know what? Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Steve, but you'll you'll appreciate this. The CEO of BCG, BCG client of ours, of course, he had a great quote on this, and it sums up exactly what you just said, which is, T- in terms of AI, 2023 was uh, about experimentation. 2024 is about impact. Now companies have to prove it, and yeah. um, I think you know that was about as well put as it can be.
0: Yeah, um, you mentioned talking to CEOs and, and hanging out with them. How are they feeling? And, of course, the, the the good thing about Davos is you get a global view. You're not, not just a U.S. point of view. We can be a little bit insular sometimes. What are you hearing from them? It's difficult to ex- assess the American economy. You know, there are many, many positive signs, but the, that message doesn't seem to be getting through to a, a significant chunk of the population. And then globally, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, Um, geopolitical and and other factors um, playing into the economies around the world. What what are you hearing from the CEOs?
1: Yeah, and I think those two are the big two after uh, after AI here at Davos, right? So global economy and geopolitics. In terms of the global economy, Interesting that if you recall last year at this time, there were some pretty dire predictions of where things were going to go here coming out of Davos. Recession would, um, right? And I, of course, um, I would say overall the odds of a U.S. downturn are shrinking, um, but haven't vanished. You know, the yield curve still is inverted after all. Um, But I would say that uh, globally, the reality is that the geopolitical uncertainty, which we'll talk about in a minute, certainly continues to cause macroeconomic uncertainty. And while everybody is hoping for a soft landing, the uh, outlook certainly remains challenging. And I think that uh, particularly here in Europe, it's being felt even potentially more acutely.
0: Yeah, my home country, especially the UK, unfortunately. In terms of CEOs, what do they get out of Davos? You know, a lot of communicators are here supporting their CEOs and their C suites. What's that work like? But also, what are they trying to achieve? Uh, is it really just the case that they can see so many people in one week that it would take them 12 months to see elsewhere is that, that, that must be part of it.
1: I mean, that certainly is a part of it, right? You hear the famous, uh, Mark Benioff quote, right? How, yeah. About how he parks it on top of a staircase over in the Congress and, uh, he sees, you know, more people in an hour than he would in, uh, I don't know if it was a year or something along yeah, yeah, those yeah. lines. Right. Um, so certainly the collection of CEOs, uh, all, you know, within the one proximity, is um is one reason people are here and get a lot of value out of it. Also, it it is certainly um, perspective on all of the issues, right? And so we talked about the economy. You asked me about on geopolitics. I'm hearing more from CEOs about you know concerns around geopolitics than I think I ever have. Um, and it's probably because we actually, if you look at the data, we, we have more conflicts right now than we've had at any point since World War II, right? So no surprise CEOs are are talking about and concerned with geopolitics because we have more conflicts than we've had at any point since World War II, uh, we have uh, of course Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine House is, has some really compelling content. I'm sure you've seen over yeah, there. And
0: President Zelensky was speaking yesterday on Tuesday.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I got caught in uh, the traffic jam that resulted from. uh, from Yeah, they shut the street. (laughs) They shut the street
0: just by Ukraine house. So that was frustrating for people trying to get back to their accommodation. But anyway, exactly. First world problems.
1: Right, right, (laughs) right. And then um, then, of course, Israel and Hamas and uh, now the Red Sea shipping lanes, um, all eyes on the Straits of Taiwan. Uh, China is here this year in a big way at WEF. Um, certainly, um, you know, research showing that, um, corporations are, is dependent on uh, China and supply chain and all of the rest. So lots of questions about, um, the
0: Chinese how- premier was quite conciliatory in his speech. Is that just window dressing, um, for, I mean, I do want you to get into <laughs> but, um, but- it, it was interesting to see his approach, though. You know, he was. it was almost like we need to partner more and, and yeah. get better on that front.
1: Well, you know, uh, his motivations are, uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not certain of his uh, motivations, but I, will, uh, I do agree with you. I will say, though, of course, this is Davos and this is the place for that type of uh, message, typically. Sure. And so I'm less surprised to hear it from him here than perhaps elsewhere. Um, I think uh, he knew precisely what he was doing as most of the uh, heads of state who are here do and when in davos <laughs> yes
0: indeed for the communications profession what you know what type of are you definitely seeing a sea change in terms of the CEO's respect for the function and what you, what, it, what it brings to it and being involved in the conversation from the start, not just at the end when something's decided? Is that definitely a trend that you know we exacerbated during COVID and it's great for PR week and it's great for the profession? Is that really true and is that really happening?
1: I think it's absolutely true. I think as evidence, just look at who's here and you compare that to, say, five years ago. So believe the most recent data suggests that of the Fortune 100, almost 25% have chief corporate affairs officers now, Mm -hmm. which is a significant increase. I find more heads of corporate affairs to be here than in years past. I think that is a reflection of the fact that the chief corporate affairs officers, chief communications officers are playing a more material role with their CEOs. And um, so, it, while in the past there, of course, has always been a presence here, I think it's increased. I think you know, Steve, as we, you and I go to all these events, we go to, we see more of them, we talk to more of them. We have a, a at Weber, we have a ton of clients that are here. Um, number number of CEOs we're supporting, number of uh, chief corporate affairs officers and comms people that we're supporting, and so, uh, and I think it's a great thing for us in the profession. I think it's. Um, a reflection of the issues we talked about, right? The increase of geopolitical challenges. And um, I think it's also a reflection uh, in part of what's going on related to what Alan Murray would call, like I said before, the green agenda, which, you know, is uh, maybe more simply put as climate or uh, right energy transition. This one um, I find a bit um, interesting this year. There's the famous, what is it, the famous Mark Twain quote about um, reports of his his death being exaggerated. Hmm. I feel like that's the case a little bit with ESG. Uh, I think that the much hyped death of ESG is exaggerated, but I will say that there certainly is, there is an impact and we are seeing the effects of the anti-ESG and anti-woke capitalism movement, particularly in the US.
0: Is it the, is it the phrase ESG that's uh, disappearing um, but just being done under another guise, is it, is it about the labeling, really?
1: I think the language is a big part of it. And so a number of corporations, as you've seen, they're backing away from certain language that's become more polarizing. I don't see corporations backing away, though, from like sustainability commitments, for example. And those who I've spoken with here at Davos, particularly a number of CEOs, I don't see them backing away from... Again, um, like commitments around sustainability, though they are by and large using language now that is a little bit safer as they do so. Now, when it comes to ESG investing, that's a little bit different and there is more of an impact there, I think.
0: Tell us about some of the delegations that have impressed you on the ground, uh, whether that's on the promenade or uh, in the Congress hall.
1: Well, certainly, we should start by um, shouting out to PayPal. I think they always do a nice job here, and we yeah. are in their space. And so, um, thank you, PayPal. Thank you, PayPal. And um, beyond PayPal, IBM, of course, always does a great job. Um, our client, Jonathan Adishak has been um, you know, uh, hosting a number of events, and um, IBM has a very big and strong and impressive presence here. MasterCard, uh, I think- Are these Man- all going to be Weber clients? Well, they're not all Weber clients, I think, um, <laughs> though we would certainly uh, welcome them all as Weber clients. Um, but no, uh, these are not all Weber clients. BCG is a Weber client, and I will shout out to BCG. You've probably seen what they're doing around um, both trust and, and AI, which of course fits, fits squarely in the, the Davos agenda. So, yeah, I think I, all of those are, are uh, I put them all on the list.
0: From the global point of view, you see a lot of Middle Eastern countries having a presence on the promenade and a lot of Indian states as well. Uh, big presence there as well.
1: Certainly, the um, number of Indian states <laughs> that are present here is quite remarkable.
0: <laughs> meta, Google, Amazon, TikTok, they're here, but they may maybe not shouting as loud as they once would have done. Uh, do you, any thoughts on that?
1: I, you know, it's hard to tell if they're shouting less loudly or if their physical space is just less in your face because hmm. they are here and, and we see them. But I don't know about you, Steve, but I seem to recall a time when they just seem to be a little bit more like physically present. Yeah. Um. I have to imagine that they're still driving the agenda and that they're still you know doing a lot of business here.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they are, Uh, but maybe behind closed doors a bit more. All right, so Jim, you mentioned you're a year in to the job as North American uh, CEO. How's the year been, and what's it like, you know, moving to Weber, different culture from the last place you were at, and... uh, Seems to be going quite well, but to tell us all about it.
1: Yeah, it's been an amazing year, Steve. Uh, it's going quite well, as you said. Couldn't ask for a better set of colleagues and clients, many of whom are here at Davos. I mean, you know, I've gotten a chance to spend a ton of time with a number of our clients over the past year. It's been it's been great spending time with a number of our clients. Actually, here right now, we've done a ton over the past year that I'm really proud of. Um, you probably noticed that we were in the middle of so many things, right, in 2023. Uh, on the corporate affairs side, we, with our client Kenview, which was J&J's consumer health spinoff, were part of, I think, maybe the biggest or second biggest IPO of the year. Norfolk Southern's reputation recovery, uh, automakers and unions, a very large beer company that you may have heard of. Our corporate affairs teams are in the middle of it. On the brand side, of course, you already know. You know the summer of Barbie. Most recently, the edible Pop Tart uh, mascot during bull season. And then on the health side, I think you know we're representing what like three quarters of um, top pharma in the United States, and we just added a couple big uh, wins this year from a healthcare perspective: Pfizer, Walgreens, etc. So really proud of all of that. And then you know you've seen um, you've reported, not just seen, you know, a number of the big talent moves we've been making: promoted uh, Michael Wayman um, to our New York president from within, Robin Adelson bringing creative and strategy closer together, named some new leaders of our performance marketing business, of our data science unit, of Influencer. And then, of course, we brought in some top talent from the outside. Sheila Mulligan, Jordan Rittenberry, Errol Cockfield from Brunswick most recently. And we have uh, more to come. So feeling great momentum. And I would say that, uh, you know, despite some of the challenges facing the industry, we are very bullish for 2024.
0: Yeah, that, that's let's dig a little of that. 23, how would you say... Growth was, and then yeah, you get different signals about twenty four, don't you? Some people, I mean, there's there's the Olympics, there's the election, which traditionally is you know a bump for. uh, There's twenty nine. You've got the European Soccer Championships, which nobody cares about in America, but we do in Europe quite a lot. Um, These are all boosts for marketing and for Mm. your clients, aren't they? So. In theory, that will help make 24 a bigger year.
1: Yeah. I mean, so we had a a strong year in 2023, and I would say that 2024 is going to be even better. Good to hear.
0: So if you look at the path you're on one year in, where would you say you are on the scale of what you want to achieve and what you wanted to? You've obviously brought some people in that you, you have a specific idea of what you want to do. Where are you on the dial in terms of of achieving all that?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I'm really pleased with what we were able to achieve in 2023. I think, you know, the work that we do for our clients and, you know, the results, um, and, the, um, and the, the strong year we had, I'm really pleased with. I would say that 2024 is going to be even better. And, you know, we have very big ambitions here, um, Steve. And so uh, in, in, in many ways, I would expect uh, 2024 to be even uh, more uh, momentous in that regard.
0: Are you going to hit that $1 billion mark? <laughs> we, we will see, Steve. We will see. <laughs> All right, then. Just to finish up, for those, not everyone's in Davos. We're well aware of that. And probably a lot of people are going, what are they whining about? You know, being beautiful mountainside views, etc. which we can see out the window as it happens. Um, but for a communicator, maybe give two or three things to take away from what's happening here that might be relevant to them in, you know, in terms of tips or big trends and and things that are particularly pertinent to the comms sector?
1: Yeah, well, certainly, as we already talked about, I think, you know, it's safe to say that the role of corporate affairs, corporate communications is arguably more important than it's ever been driven by, you know, larger trends um, affecting CEOs around, you know, risk and resilience um, around geopolitics and macroeconomy, et cetera. Um, So that's one. Two, I think with the election year in front of us, and that's not just in the United States, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot to navigate uh, from a geopolitical perspective that um, I uh, certainly, and I know a number of my clients are already in the middle of.
0: Yeah, whilst there are 60-odd elections, there's one that everyone's looking at in the world, isn't there? There
1: is certainly (laughs) one that uh, (laughs) is is pretty high profile right now. And I guess, you know, while some of us were uh, here in Davos, there was... uh, there was, what, a caucus that there was was recently acquired. Yeah. Yes, like, indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, so geopolitics, certainly. And then I would say beyond all of that, people who are, who are in our profession, they should feel, um, I mean, like, like I do, I feel bullish in general, as I have already said, for 2024. But I would argue that they should feel bullish about, you know, the state of our profession. Given the fact that, you know, we are playing um, what I would say is a more material role in the success or failure of corporations and businesses and brands than we probably ever have. And I feel that way. And um, and so I, I hope others do too. Well, that's a good positive note to end on, Jim.
0: And um, thanks for chatting to us. Enjoy the rest of the week. Survive it. And uh, yeah, thanks to Weber for supporting this program. And I uh, hope you enjoyed this Davos wrap up courtesy of Weber Shamwick and PR week.
1: Brilliant Steve, always a pleasure.